0: Scripture will be taken from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Again, that's 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if we hold fast, that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Good morning and welcome again. We're so grateful for your presence today. We appreciate so much. Those of you that are visiting with us, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that we have. We're always glad to have visitors come our way from week to week, and we know that today is no exception, and so we certainly hope that you feel welcome here. It might be that you're looking for a church home, and as always, we invite you to consider the work here. We'd love to have you come and join hands with us as we do our best to make Christ known in this community. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the passage that... Dusty read a moment ago, we're going to be talking today about the message that makes a difference. The gospel is identified as good news. And really the beauty of the gospel is that it is good news to lost mankind. There are a lot of messages in the world, and there are a lot of people that are propagating a lot of different messages. But there's only one gospel message. The good news is that Christ died for our sins. That he was resurrected on the third day. That he lives in heaven, seated at the Father's right hand. And one day will come again. Let's talk for a minute or two about this message that makes a difference. And I want to begin by first of all, defining the gospel. In order for us to appreciate this message, we have to understand what it really is, and there's a summation of the gospel that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You remember in verse one, Paul said, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. He said, which also you received and in which you stand. So, what about the facts as they pertain to the gospel? Look at verse 3. Paul said, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. First of all, there is the prophecy of the death. There are numerous prophecies that relate to the death of Jesus, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When God set forth the promised seed and began unveiling his redemptive plan to lost mankind. In Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet here, writing some seven centuries before Jesus would come to earth, talked about... The Messiah, the one of whom he said in verse 12 would bear the sin of many. Zechariah, in his prophetic book, talked about how there would be a day when a fountain would be opened for sin and uncleanness. And of course, this had reference to the death of Jesus. And then I think about Jesus himself. Speaking or foretelling of his death in Matthew chapter 16 verse 21. He began to tell his disciples how that he had to go to Jerusalem. And he said he would suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and scribes. And then he said he would be killed. So the Bible speaks prophetically about the death of Jesus What about the purpose of his death? Why did Jesus die? Well, Paul sums that up. He said that Jesus died for our sins. In a very personal way, all of us need to understand that sin is a problem. You remember what Paul said in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 3? He said, there's none righteous, no, not one. Of course, in chapter 1 of the book of Romans, he identified the Gentile world and said that they were under sin. In chapter 2, the Jewish world, they too under sin. And then in chapter 3, he said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth because of man's sin problem. and So he came to literally take our place to vicariously suffer and die in our stead. John would say in the book of Revelation in chapter 1 at verse 5, unto him who loved us and gave himself for our sins. And so that's really, in a nutshell, the purpose of Jesus coming to earth and dying And then I think about the perpetual reminder of his death. A moment ago, we partook of the Lord's Supper. The beauty of that memorial feast is that we bring to mind the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. We do it every first day of the week, according to Acts chapter 20 at verse 7. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he said, you show forth the Lord's death until he come again. What a powerful statement the Lord's Supper makes to a lost and dying world. Jesus died on Calvary's cross nearly 2,000 years ago. And so for some 2,000 years, Christians of all ages have been remembering the death of God's only Son. And then Paul speaks of his burial. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, asked for the body of Jesus and buried him in what we might call a borrowed tomb. Jesus was buried. And then Paul would tell us That he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Again we talk about prophecy. Did you know that there were prophecies that related to the resurrection of Jesus? For example in Psalm 16 in about verse 10. The psalmist said you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. He pointed out that he would not leave his soul in Sheol or in Hades. Now, Peter quoted this verse in Acts chapter 2 as he talked to those who were assembled in Jerusalem to observe Pentecost. And he pointed out that Jesus, God, had raised him from the dead and that it had been prophesied of. And he quoted the Psalms. So I think about the prophecies of his resurrection. Jesus would say in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They thought he was talking about the physical temple. But Jesus was talking about his body. I alluded a moment ago to the death of Christ and the fact that the Lord himself prophesied of that death in Matthew 16. At verse 21, he said he would be killed. But then in that same verse, he said he would rise again the third day. What about the proof of his resurrection? There are a lot of people that are skeptical. And yet, we talk about, in a court of law, the importance of having eyewitnesses. Well, Paul here speaks of eyewitness accounts. Of the resurrected Jesus. Listen to him if you would. In verse 5. In verse 4 he had said that he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures. Again going back. For example to the book of Psalms. In verse 5 he said he was seen by Cephas. That is by Peter. And then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Of whom the greater part remained to the present but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. There were numerous eyewitness accounts to the resurrected Jesus. And you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each writer will give you A perspective On the resurrection of Jesus Why is the resurrection so significant We talk about The power of the resurrection Do you remember what Paul said In Romans chapter 1 verse 4 That Jesus was declared to be The son of God With power according to the spirit of holiness By the resurrection from the dead We serve a savior That broke the bonds of death As a matter of fact The Hebrew writer would say that he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He disarmed him. And so Jesus Christ arose from the dead. And we have hope today because of his resurrection. Now if you look at verse 12, Paul here emphasizes the power, the importance of the resurrection. Just listen to what he says. If Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do does, how does some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith also is vain. He said, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile or vain, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Now you just think about what he's saying there. If Jesus has not been resurrected, as some would allege, then our preaching is vain. Our faith is vain, and the bottom line is we're still in sin. and We have no hope, but that's not the case, is it? Because Paul said we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Jesus himself would say in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, he said, I am him who lives and was dead, past tense, He said, Behold, I am alive forevermore. And then he said, Amen. And then he said, I have the keys of Hades and of death. The same Jesus that was resurrected on the third day will one day unlock the cemeteries. And the dead will come forth. As he said in John chapter 5. So we think about the definition of the gospel. I want you to think with me now for just a moment about how we are delivered through the gospel. As you think about the deliverance that comes through the gospel, the word that I would use or emphasize is salvation. The gospel is good news because it is a message of salvation. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God's message is a saving message. And really there are some provisions that are outlined in the gospel. Some provisions that are associated with this powerful message. I think about the fact that the gospel of Christ can help people who have been captivated or captured in a life of sin. In 2 Timothy chapter two at verse 26, Paul talks about people that have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. In John chapter eight, Jesus would talk about those who are in bondage to sin. And he really said that they are a slave, a servant of that way of life. The beauty of the gospel is that it can can give help to people that have been captured by sin. And then I think about the fact that the gospel can give hope to people that have been corrupted by sin. Sometimes people have the idea that they are beyond the scope of redemption. In other words, there's just no hope for them. And there are people all across the globe that will tell you, they will in a very plain and forthright way say, look, there's just no way a loving God in heaven could ever save me. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand my lifestyle. You don't understand some of the things that I have been caught up in. Well, I know this when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, but such Were some of you. Can we be corrupted by a life of sin? Yes. But that's the purpose of the gospel, isn't it? To take people that have been mired in a life of sin. And redeem them. Reconcile them back to God. To give them hope. To give them help. And then I think about how the gospel. Can heal those who have been crippled by sin. Sin is debilitating and what the devil wants to do is beat you down in a life of sin he wants you to feel like look I can't straighten my life out I can't walk that straight and narrow pathway I can't live as a child of light let me tell you what that is the devil's lie when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus he said you were once darkness But now you're light in the Lord. And then he would say, walk as children of light. I mean, think about the people in Corinth. Paul said some of you were fornicators. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you were living in adultery. Some of you were living in homosexuality. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you were thieves. But what did God do? He washed you. He sanctified you. He justified you. Sounds to me like the gospel is a message that can make a difference in the lives of people. Now we talk about the provisions of the gospel and the power of this gospel message. The power of the gospel, the provisions of the gospel are such that it has, number one, saving power. No one is beyond the scope of redemption. All you have to do is hear the gospel, believe it, and obey it. Again, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. This is a message that can make a difference in your life. Let me tell you what. This is a message that has resonated with people for some 2,000 years. There have been folks that have been responding to the gospel of Christ because they have been to the foot of the cross. They have heard the love story of the cross. They have seen what Jesus has done on their behalf, and they've responded accordingly. The gospel has saving power. It has sanctifying power. The word sanctification means to set apart. Now, you remember I talked about the people in Corinth and their past. I want you to listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. He wrote to the church of God at Corinth. To those that had been sanctified in Christ Jesus. That is, they had been set apart from the world. They had been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Now Paul would say in Colossians chapter 1 in verse 14 that it is in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he said they have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then he said... They have been called to be saints. Now, you just think about that for a minute. Here were people who had been living in fornication and adultery and idolatry and homosexuality. Some were drunkards, some were thieves, some had been stealing. They were extortioners, some were revilers. But what Paul say? He said, You're a saint. You are a saint of the Most High God. Well, why is that? Because you've been sanctified, you've been set apart from the world unto God. You belong to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul would say, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have from God? You're not your own. He said, You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to God. And we are identified by the Apostle Paul as people who have been sanctified, and we are saints of the Most High God. Every person is a saint. And then finally, the gospel has satisfying power. The satisfaction comes in knowing that I have a relationship with God. The people in Corinth, they had heard the gospel. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 18, in verse eight, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. When they were baptized into Christ, Really, the reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 is they were washed. From what? From sin, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. They had the security, they had the satisfaction of knowing that they were children of Almighty God. We have that same satisfaction today. Now, there is a third thing I want you to see very quickly in our study. The demands of the gospel. What about the demands of the gospel? Well, Note, if you would, first of all, what Paul says again in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you're saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We might sum this point up in the word steadfastness. And Paul here is saying, number one, we need to hold fast to the word. Why is that? Why would Paul tell us to hold fast to the Word? Well, because if we fail to hold fast to the Word, spiritually speaking, we're going to be in trouble, aren't we? You see, our relationship to God is predicated on our willingness to live in harmony with His Word, to live in compliance with the teaching of Christ. As John would say, we walk in the light, as He is in the light. If we do so, then the blood of Christ constantly is at work in our lives. We hold fast to the word because it gives us security. Security is where? It's in Christ. You remember what John said in 1 John chapter 5? He said that those who are in the Son have life. Those who do not have the Son of God do not have life. And then he said, these things I've written unto you That believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you might know that you have eternal life. When I walk in the footsteps of Christ, when I live in harmony with his will, the beauty of it is I know that I have a relationship that is ongoing with the Son of God. And then I think about the fact that I am strengthened in that relationship. The Bible tells us that when we become a Christian that we are to desire the sincere milk of the word that we might grow. And there is the exhortation in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We grow stronger in the Lord by holding fast to his word. But now drop down to verse 58 if you would. Not only are we encouraged to hold fast to the word, but we are encouraged to hold fast to the work. And there's some keys here as to why we need to hold fast to the work. Listen to what Paul said in verse 58. Therefore, in light of the fact that Christ has been resurrected from the dead, in light of the fact that one day there will be a future resurrection of all people, Paul said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Paul here is saying that as a child of God, we need to be productive. We need to be working in the kingdom of God. And that work has a purpose, doesn't it? I'm not working just for myself. But listen to what Paul said. He said, I want you to always abound in the work of the Lord. Christianity is not a one-time deal To where you obey the gospel and then you just go back and live as you please. Christianity is a life of dedication, commitment, conviction. And really, there is the conviction that Christ died for my sins and that He has a work for me to do. That work is to share the gospel, to encourage people to continue in the gospel, to help those who have needs, to bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ, etc. But we think about being productive, having purpose in life. And then, note if you would, the prosperity of so doing. He said, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Let me, let me just say this. You want to know why? Living the Christian life is the best way to live. You want to know why it's worthwhile to expend your time and energy in the kingdom of God? Because one day God will reward you. The Hebrew writer said that God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. When we are committed to the cause of Christ and we're living in such a way that we're engaging in the work of the church, Number one, we're bringing honor and glory to God. And number two, we have the assurance that we have a home in heaven. I want to ask you a question as we close today. Has the gospel made a difference in your life? If you're a Christian, hopefully and prayerfully, it has made a profound difference in your life. If it hasn't, something's not right. If you don't love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and mind, if you're not involved in the work of the church, if you're not living a steadfast life in Christ, something is amiss. If you've never obeyed the gospel, why not let let this message resonate in your heart? Why not respond in simple trusting faith, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting of every sin, Confessing His name before others and being baptized into Christ, as Peter said in Acts 2 verse 38. When you do that, the Bible says, God will add you to the church, Acts 2:47. You need to be in the church because the Bible says that Christ is the savior of the body, Ephesians 5:23. Then you have to be faithful till death, because Jesus said, "Be faithful until death and the assurance given, I've given to you a crown of life. So if you're here today and you need to respond to heaven's invitation, we encourage you to do so as we stand and sing.